0: So we're going to look at this section from Revelation chapter 21 this morning. Uh, Next Sunday, Ajalon will finish up the book of Acts for us, and then you say, where do we go next? To give you a head start, we're going to the book of Daniel. So you could read this week Daniel, next week Daniel, and then when we finally get around to it, you'll be prepared. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would guide us as we look at it now. Pray that the words of our mouths, my mouth, my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Holiday greetings. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Those uh, two salutations uh, link together two important events for us, or at least they can. On the one hand, we say Merry Christmas to one another and we think back to the coming of Jesus in the manger. Happy New Year, on the other hand, raises the question in the minds of Christians, might this be the year Jesus returns for his people? What's the future going to look like? verses that Bob just read focus on this second topic and if you have a Bible and can turn to Revelation chapter 1 we'll work down through those verses what John is doing in the book of Revelation is calling the church the ancient church and the contemporary church the faithfulness and we might say it this way the Lord wants you to be faithful to him in this upcoming year year 2024 now that is very good news in light of the fact that we live in a troubled world you know jesus said when you hear of wars and rumors of wars don't be alarmed these things have to happen and what the lord is doing is he's working his plan to perfection He's dotting all the the I's, he's crossing all the T's. He's doing all the details to glorify himself and to bless his people. Needy people like you and me. Now, we get a glimpse of the greatness of God at the beginning of Of the book of Revelation. If you look at chapters four and five, for example, you'll see a picture of the throne and of Jesus. And the picture that we're given is that Jesus is, well, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's kind of a funny combination. The lamb slain is the triumphant lion, Uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb slain. A lion like lamb, a lamb like lion. It's a wonderful picture of the Lord's kindness to us. And so, as we look at these verses, what we're reminded is that Jesus is Lord of all. He's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign to judge evil and bring about justice in our world. And he's sovereign to redeem lost sinners like you and me. So, really, the call of the book of Revelation is for people like us to love, obey, serve, honor, worship the Lord. He's saving us from our sins, and he's bringing righteousness to our needy world. Well, John builds on this idea of God's sovereignty by using a series of metaphors in these verses that we just read for example he talks about a new creation he also talks about a temple New Jerusalem and then after he's unpacked those ideas he lays out a very clear warning and says look This is a time for us to reflect on who we are before God because he's coming in judgment on those that will not believe in Christ and will not obey him. Well, let's look at John's experience. It's right there in verse 1. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth... Uh, The reason is because the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Uh, This first creation is dissolved, and the second has been established to replace it. And what's in view here is the coming of Jesus. Summarizing this newness, he says at the end of verse 1, the sea was no more. Now we have touched on how the Bible uses this idea of water, uh, the sea. Uh, But to review a little bit, remember, Israel passes through the Red Sea, and Jonah has his experience with the sea, and Jesus' disciples are out on the sea, and it's turbulent, and uh, most recently, the people in Malta think that Paul has... Survived a horrible storm. He's a murderer. He must be. And the reason they surmise that is because a viper has just latched on him. And they think it's only going to be a matter of time before he dies. Isaiah tells us, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters stir up mire and dirt. Now, in the book of Revelation, the sea... Uh, is a little more focused than all of these examples I just laid out. Uh, If you look at the beginning in chapter 4, one example, uh, the sea is the the origin of cosmic evil. It is also representative of unbelieving and unrepentant nations. Uh, The sea is described in Revelation as the place of the dead, the place for idolatrous world trade. And um, then a little literal body of water that represents the old world. Well, in this new creation, there is no more sea. Why? Because Jesus in his death and resurrection has removed Satan's threat from God's people. He has also protected his people against rebellious and unbelieving nations. He has overcome death in his resurrection. He is separating nations and peoples who will not follow Christ. Now, this image of a new heaven and a new earth is of great value. It was of great value to the early church because they were living in a world where there was pressure on them, uh, pressure that would tear them away from the Savior. And so they're reminded here, there's a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. It's one that's going to destroy evil. So think about the problems that are facing you right now. Might be health problems, might be financial problems, might be relational problems. Perhaps you're struggling with confusion about your faith. Whatever those happen to be, the picture that's painted for us here is one of hope, it's foundational to the larger call of the book of Revelation, which is, be faithful to the Lord in this new year. So, John sees a new creation in verse 1, but now let's go on to verse 2. What's there? He sees not only a new creation, but a new Jerusalem. It's another way of describing what replaces the old world. Now, we find this idea of a new Jerusalem back in the book of Isaiah. And we might say on the side that much of what John develops here in these verses is just kind of a, an unpacking of ideas that are back in the Old Testament. There, this New Jerusalem is a place, it depicts a time when God's people will no longer be in captivity. That's the way Isaiah is using the notion. Rather, they'll be in God's presence, and he's going to take care of them, regardless of the pressure that's being brought to bear on them. It's a picture of marriage, and so we're told, comes, a new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, and it's adorned as a bride is adorned for her husband. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus links together three ideas. First of all, he puts together the name of God, those who are part of this new Jerusalem, and the name of Jesus. To be part of the new Jerusalem, as far as John says in Revelation 3, is to be linked to God who's over all, and Jesus who is the reigning king over all. The change, there's a change here too from what we might call the temporary to the eternal. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven from God. There's this eternal kingdom that's in view. And the inference is that it has already begun to show its presence in our world. You know, we talk about how, yeah, I have been saved from my sins but I'm not in heaven yet and so we use this kind of language I'm already saved but I'm not yet saved well that's kind of what's going on here there's this new heaven and new earth or this new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven and it's already showing its power in the world in which we live there's a difference though there is this new Jerusalem but in the Old Testament, God, dwelt, God lived with his people in a tabernacle. Well, now what happens is there's this eternal dwelling of God with his people. So here are first century believers. They're living in a world that is marked by ethnic and linguistic and political divisions in the middle of that comes this new Jerusalem. And in that holy city Jesus is uniting Jew and Gentile into one new body. Through the new birth, through the power of the cross Jesus is bringing together very different people from different cultures, different people groups, the world over. (coughs) And the inference for the church back then and the inference for us now is this wherever the Lord has placed you you bump into some of those differences right and so he is calling you based on the power of the resurrected Christ in your life based on the work of the Holy Spirit in you to be a person who lives out this new resurrection life in such a way that you work to draw people together to unite one another, and you are faithful to the Lord in this new year. So John sees a new creation, sees a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. What else does he experience? Well, please now look at verses 2 through 7. God is with his people. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared nor pain anymore, the former things are passed away. He was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, in the Old Testament, God has a tabernacle that's right in the middle of where Israel is living as they walk their 40-year journey in the wilderness that pointed to God's presence with his people. What this tells us is that God is present with all peoples, Jew and Gentile, who trust in him. They are included as the people of God, and so verse 3 says, they will be his people's, plural. Probably people in your translation, but people's, plural. The prophecies that originally focused on Israel have been fulfilled now and are being fulfilled among Jew and Gentile, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Now, this is the first hint that there's no literal temple. Um, And the reason is because God and Christ are the enduring form of the temple, God with his people, to which the Old Testament temple pointed. Now, please notice what this means. Look at verse 4. God is our personal comforter. He removes pain and crying and sorrow and death. Jesus satisfies with living water, and he adopts us into his forever family. Now, I want to go back and pick up some points of application, but just let those words sink into you. Think about the pain and suffering that you experience. The Lord is here for you. He's here as a comfort. And he promises that he will eventually remove all of that suffering from our lives. Jesus is here for you today with whatever pain and disappointment you're struggling, and you receive help from him by faith. So turn to him in faith with your sense of loss, and confusion. Turn to Jesus. Say, Lord, help me in the difficulties that I'm experiencing. I don't know which way to turn. Jesus is here for you. These verses about a new heaven and a new earth and about suffering being removed uh, point us to this idea that the future is coming to us in Christ. And so how did Jesus live in the in-between time? How did Jesus live in a world where he experienced difficulties? Well, here's a second application. When Jesus saw the crowds, we're told that he was moved by compassion. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We, like Jesus, live in this in-between time. We have not yet experienced the new heaven and the new earth. By faith, we look forward to the coming of Christ. And what do we do in the meantime to be like Jesus? Well, we're called to be people of compassion. Remember uh, the story that Jesus tells? There's a young lawyer that comes to him, and he wants to know who's his neighbor, and so Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. He says, there's this Samaritan, and Jews didn't think very highly of Samaritans. Samaritan comes along, and he sees the man who's been abused, and he is moved with compassion toward him. And he picks him up, and he takes him to an inn, and he provides for his needs, and then as he has to leave, he says, here's some money to the innkeeper, you take care of him, and when I come back, uh, I'll make up the difference if you spend more on him when you're moved with compassion following Jesus you move toward people that are hurting and that's what Jesus says here in the parable of the Good Samaritan and that's what Jesus empowers you to do out of the resources that he provides by his spirit so as you begin this new year pray ask the Lord to give you somebody's toward whom you can be compassionate. And now one more point of application. These verses describe the new heavens and the new earth. They mark the time when Christ will have finally saved all those for whom he died. We're not there yet. There are still others to be drawn to Christ. Who knows how many? Are they thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? Are there millions of people around the world who don't know the name of Jesus or don't have contact with a Christian? Well, Peter links what we just see, what we see here in Revelation 21. Peter links that uh, with. How we're to behave in this in-between time. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, Peter says this: the day of the Lord is coming. Good news. It's coming like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and its works will be done away with. And what he says fits hand in glove with what we read here in Revelation 21. And then he goes on and he says, since these things are to be, what sort of people ought you to be? You ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. And then he has this key phrase, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. What's it mean to be faithful to the Lord in this in-between time? We look forward to it. As John teaches us to pray at the end of Revelation, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we do more than pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We also say, Lord, what can I do to speed your coming? I don't understand that very well. But that is the command of this verse. Look forward and hasten or speed the coming of the day of the Lord. Well, we do know a couple things. Jesus said, uh, pray. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth more workers into his harvest field. That's one of the things that you can do in this new year. You can say, Lord, would you help me to be more faithful in praying that there will be more workers sent out to places where there is no gospel witness. There's something else you can do. You can say, Lord, now would you lead me to somebody with whom I can be a faithful witness to you. You know, the book of Acts is all about that, being faithful witnesses for Christ. There is a neuroscientist who's done a little research and has told us that uh, we, 80% of us anyway, have a bias. Uh, We are not optimistic enough. And uh, this writer goes on to say that um, we uh, ought to be more optimistic. We ought to think more positively because that'll help us uh, have a better day and have a better year. And uh, it's not—it's it, essentially the power of positive thinking. What John is doing is he's going at our problem with optimism from another angle. What he's saying is, um, you have every reason in the world to be optimistic because of who Jesus is and because of what he has promised to do for you and in you. He tells us the grace of God which has appeared unto all men brings salvation and it instructs us to to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to look forward with anticipation to the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming again. And what will happen besides the blessings that have been outlined? Well, there's going to be a cosmic time that will be turned into eternity. That's one of the things that happens. There'll be separation from God that will be changed into intimate communion with him. Death will be a thing of the past because the saints drink from the water of life. And the Lord will establish justice and righteousness in a world by his righteous judgment. And so please now look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion, they will have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God is bringing a new world, and God is eradicating evil. And so there's every reason for us to be hopeful. The saints are with the Lord, part of his forever family. So there's a great day that's coming. And John exhorts you, be faithful to the Lord in 2024. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and the reminder of your goodness to us. We pray that as we think about a new year, that you would work in us so that we say, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly for us. Uh, Bring us home. Uh, Establish your eternal righteousness. And may that be...